Kiras here. I'm the host of the hour. First to follow the fox named Neve with books laid before the bear named M to read and retire around the long fire. I just fall back to sleep again while you're doing this. <laughs> yeah. You just hear me doze off. Um, I mean, we're done. We're done. Sorry, we'll go. I was took a nap. I woke up like three minutes ago, and it's going to be very <laughs> obvious that I'm going to wake up in the course of doing this podcast. Um, yeah. But I, I truly was asleep five minutes ago. So we did it. We finished this fucking book. I read the thing. Uh, got a little late start on reading this month, uh, this week. We're recording a day later than usual. And uh, I was, yeah, I read it today over lunch. I was like, oh, let's, I hope I can get through all, all the things that are about to happen. And then nothing fucking happens. <laughs> yep. Um, also, <clears throat> like, knock on wood. Uh, hopefully my internet will be okay since we're recording a different night. And I still don't have fiber because my landlord's just being very shitty about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we were going to get it installed on Saturday, uh, fairly, ve- like fairly last minute. It was like Friday. He was like, uh, I want to be there for when they do the installation. Um, because, uh, these gangsters run their graffiti doing wires on the sides of the building or whatever, which is a, a really charged way to what? talk about yeah. technicians doing their job. Um, I don't, just I don't a, a big like racism flag right there. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that was specifically what he said to me. Um, and so he's like, I need to be there when they do the installation. Um, and so I specifically was like, okay, what will work? And he's like, Friday, like Wednesday is the day that will work for me. I will be there on Wednesday. Um, I can like be there after four. And then I like looked into it and they, the windows, like the latest window you can do is two to four. I was like, okay, can you be there at two? And he's like, yeah, I can be there at two. Um, and then at two o'clock, the technician showed up. Um, and so. I was not there. Emily was. And she was like, uh, Tom's not here. What do I do? So I texted Tom, um, who's my landlord. Um, and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to be there. I can't be there until five. Uh, just make sure that they don't, like, run a cord on the side of the building. And I'm like, why did I reschedule this then? Um, so we'll see if it's possible because the, the non-running a cord on the side of the building uh, like, you know, that's like sort of wrapping around rather than just like going straight from the alley to the back of the building. Uh-huh. Um, if we don't do that, we have to go to the back of the building, but that's the garage for the rear unit. Uh-huh. And it would go in there and then they would have to install like for the fiber, they would have to install a conversion box that would then use the like coaxial line that we're currently getting our cable internet through. And that converter box would need a power source and I'm assuming the people who pay power in the garage are the rear unit because it's their garage and I don't have access to that garage. So I still need somebody here who can like do access to that garage even if we get like some situation worked out. So it's possible I just won't have fiber Um and I'll just have to see if Comcast will be better than RCN Astound, which is what I currently have. Um Even though we switched because this was better than Comcast, but um, I feel like uh, Astound has taken a dip in quality over the years. So, mm-hmm. I'm just annoyed about the whole situation. So I figured I'd do a little, little rant here. Um, so we even moved it in case the the fiber installation was going to mean that, like, you know, it'd be there'd be like a period where we were supposed to record and like maybe we're still working on getting internet going or something. 
Yeah. Um, but now, um, should we just get through the saga? Be done with it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, first, because we got stuff about like the king gathering forces. We get like a little bit here with the farmers. You know, they're mm. like gathering together. Uh, there's a, a bishop, uh, Seerther, which is a different bishop than the bishop Seerther that King Olivier likes. This is the one that King Knut likes, and it's a different Seerther. Um, but he does some like speech to rile up the, the farmers. Um, they want, uh, Haraker and Thorir to lead them, and they're like, we're too old, basically. Um, and, uh, I don't even know if we get who leads them, but then we've got, uh, Calvier Arneson here, who's like sort of one of the, the important guys in this last little section. Um, not that important, but, um, and then they all get into battle array. Um, and we just get various people like. There's this whole thing, too, where there's, like, the uh, Thorstein, the shipbuilder, who's, like, vowing vengeance on King Olivier. Mm. Um, and I was like, what for? And I tried to, like, I looked at his name, being like, did he come up before? Did I miss, like, a, an instance where King Olivier, like, screwed this guy over? Uh, he did not come up previously in the saga. There's been multiple moments of this. And I, what are you doing? <laughs> let me know why he's mad if you're going to let me know he's mad. Um, but, yeah, then they... The battle rages, basically. Yeah, it for, sure does. Yeah, for for a couple chapters here. Um, we get some, as always, we get some skaldic poetry about how the battle was raging. Um, and then, uh, in the end, um, Thorstein, the shipbuilder, uh, hits King Olivier, like, in the knee, which makes him lean back against a boulder. Um... And then, uh, Thor the Hound thrusts his spear up, like, below the coat of mail through the belly of King Olivier. Um, and, like, basically around that same, like, you know, similar moment, um, Calvier slashes the king and strikes his neck on the left side. And so, uh, you know, I, I feel like normally, um, Thor the Hound is the one who gets, like, attributed with, like, actually killing King Olivier. Mm. When I've seen, like, other accountings of this stuff. Um, but it also notes that we don't know which Calvier it was who wounded the king. Okay. Um, there's, like, two with very similar names. Like, even similar last names. Um, anyway, the, the battle sort of peters out from there. There's, like, some people running there's a couple like attempts to you know uh track down people who have like broken rank you know the other side trying to chase them down um but uh not much comes of it uh the whole thing just kind of the whole battle falls apart once the king's dead yeah um, there's like the clips during the battle and it's boring that's how fuck much they fuck this whole yeah. thing out <laughs> yeah um and then i don't give a fuck about the scald um and I, oh, there's like this one, there's the story of this one guy dying. I don't remember too much about him. Um, there is the one part where, uh, 
he does have the line of, cause he's like one of King Olivier's men. And so he's like, uh, go ahead and like take this ring from me since the, you know, the thing that means the most to me has been taken away, King Olivier. And it's not even that gay. So again, just disappointments all around. Um, and then when the guy tries to grab his ring, he like attacks him or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, Essentially, they so some people end up taking King Olivier's body and like hiding him in this hut that's like sort of uh, like partially underground at least. Yeah, it's like a garden hut. They're gonna like foul the body as part of the yeah. dishonor of killing the king. Um, and there's a, a blind man who goes in there trying to find shelter. Um, and so in order to go in, he has to like crawl on his hands and feet, uh, and puts his hands into something wet and then like touched his eyes for some reason after that. Um, but it, he put his hands in, in King Olivier's blood. And then when he touches his eyelids, he, his sight is restored. Um, it's a, it's a miracle. Um, and then there's like this ruse where they, they, have two coffins and they're like hiding the actual one with King Olivier and the other one is like filled with stones or whatever so mm-hmm. that um when Thorir the Hound stops them and like takes the the casket that's weighted to feel like a body's in there he throws that overboard and they they make off with the actual king uh or you know his actual body um and then um King Knut uh appoints his son Svein his son uh with uh this woman named Alfifa. Um and it seems like he really fucking sucks. Um I don't know if this is like King Knut's finally gotten his way and so he's like not being nice to Norway anymore, like all of that was a ruse. Mm-hmm. Or it feels more like the boss is actually like the the you know, the head of your company is like a decent dude, but he puts his like fail son in charge of your department, and your the fail son just fucking sucks. Do we know how That's, old the Svein guy is? Um, because the way this is originally like the way they talk about uh, Alfifa is almost like she's like. Did you ever see Oliver Stone's Alexander, the Alexander the Great movie? Yeah, uh, which opens about um, <laughs> Angelina Jolie as Alexander the Great's like evil sorceress mother who's got her ambitions about her son being the greatest man in the land. And that's kind of the vibe I have here where she's just like an evil magical woman who wants her son to be a great man. Yeah. So let's see. Um, I'm like looking up. So I think, uh, Svein Forkbeard, I think is Mm. who this Svein is. Um, I'm pretty sure. Let me, let me check and make sure that, uh, Oh no, this is a different one. Who's the, um. Oh, this is the father of Knut. Yeah, um, son of Knut. Yeah, Svein Knutson. Um. So in 1030, he was sent uh, along with um, Alfifu to to rule Norway, and he was born in uh, 1016. So he was like 14. Yeah. Okay. That that checks out to me. Yeah. Which is, which is young enough that I believe this like, you know, mother having a bunch of control, but also yes. old enough that it like, especially at that time, like fourteen, you're like class as an adult now. You know. Uh, um, yeah. Sure. Um, not really true anymore. But like back then, you could just be king and make your own decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
does seem to be under the sway of his his mother. Um, but yeah, they're basically uh, with with um, King Svein here. Everyone's like, ah, this sucked. Actually, uh, we actually liked King Olivier more than this guy. Uh, and so then we we start this like political decision to give King Olivier sainthood so that they can like um, basically do this political maneuver to like try and you know overturn the stuff that's happened um and you get uh various i forget who all um one of the first people to like recognize his sainthood or whatever is actually uh um one of the people who was fighting against him but there's like a large number of people who like killed him who then um yeah thory the hound is one of the first people where supposedly his sanctity was revealed to you mm-hmm. um because his blood when he killed him uh he had like a wound on his hand and the blood went onto his hand um and then it healed it it didn't require any dressing and just healed up fine don't you have to petition a pope to become to make a saint mm, isn't probably, this like a thing they'd eventually have to go to rome for if they wanted to make a make yeah. him a real catholic saint yeah, but in this case, I think they just have to get the one, um, the Bishop Searther who they like, mm-hmm. um, and who liked King Olivier, uh, to just say it. And then it's, it's true. Real, uh, um, cowboy diplomacy happening here in, uh, Norway. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we even get stuff where, like, they disinter his body and like the hair and fingers have grown and the body hasn't decayed. And then it's like on display and they have to like, you know, keep clipping the nails and cutting his hair or whatever. Mm. Um, which is like kind of the weird body horror stuff that you can get with saints, but it's not the good stuff, you know? Um, Um, this is weirdly one of those things where, um, you get reports in history. This is just me being a death ghoul a little bit. Um, where you're like, oh, they they interred they un they like uninterred the body and they oh their fingernails grew and it's because like the tissues pull away from the nail beds and so it looks like the nails are yeah. longer than they really were. Um, bodies decaying are fucking weird. Is the thing? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I'm just saying there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for thinking those things are true and they're not actually being true, but we're also yeah. we're reading a thing about a saint, so I'm not pushing it too hard. I'm just letting you know if you're listening along. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's, again, you get like a, a bit of a sense, but like the sainthood of, of King Olivier was like far more political than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn about like churches built on various important sites around yes. this. Um, and uh, then, um, so there's a, a guy who claims that, so his, he's King Trigvi, he claims that he is the son of King Olivier Trigvison. Mm-hmm. Um, who he had before and was a better Olivier than St. Olivier in my estimations. This is um, the, uh, wrestle with the guy Olivier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he ends up, uh, I forget if he like straight up kills King Zane or if he just like runs him out of the country. Hmm. I think he kills him. Um, and then it ends with, uh, after there's been sort of this power vacuum, because there's also, like, an important Earl that was aligned with, um, uh, 
King Knut, who also just like randomly dies or something. And so there's like a little bit of a power vacuum. And then, um, Calvier Arneson, um, oh yeah, he also is supposed to like do tribute to the, to King Knut. But now that like stuff's falling apart, he refuses. Um, and then Amber, uh, Thomerskelfer, who again, um, and Calvier Arneson, again, people who are like fighting and killing King Olivier, uh, give the crown to his son Magnus. Yeah. Um, and I briefly had this moment of like, oh, but the next saga could be like this, this like boy king who's like has to wear the crown under the weight of his like father who's a saint now. And I'm like, I know it's actually not going to be what I want though. It's not going to hmm. be good. No, what you want is, is fiction, narrative fiction. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. It's interesting because, um, this whole thing is in many ways about the affirmation of a national Christian identity um, through a magical king who is very godly in the in the Christian mode. Um, and I think it's just a profoundly like moving document about how Christianity is fucking boring. <laughs> in in a political sense it just yeah. erases all all obstacle through its obstinance and steamrolls culture and erases nuance and and interest and myth in favor of the all-encompassing like weight of what becomes the cultural norm of all of europe for this fucking century or millennia um and it's it's a shame. I miss gods and dragons and wizards and all of the cool shit that King Olivier and Christianity exist to stamp out of the world as like a as like the grand narrative of progress in history, right? Which is a, a new, more nuanced thing, but th this book is not necessarily about the nuanced parts of that. Um, it just truly yeah. is. He shows up. He suffers. He has a big moan, and then he Christianizes everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is also like part of the thing that was interesting reading through some of this, but obviously, especially once we got to St. Olivier, we like had seen the arc, but it was also the movement from this like, uh, mode of, of oral history that had been passed down, uh, for like, you know, multiple generations and it become like infused with other myth and legend in the process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we get into like, these are our guys that like were dead when Snorri was writing this, but he's like talking to people who like were alive during this time yeah. or, uh, you know, maybe like were young a little bit after the time of St. Olivier, but still heard stories from people who knew him, or like, you know, we're alive at that time when all the stuff was happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's just a far more, like, there's still a certain, like, taking this oral recording, uh, or like oral history and writing it down, but it's such a, like, near that it, it is more just like recording recent history. Yeah. Um, and it, it really shifts what, like, the tone is. Um, and it, especially with St. Olivier, like, the sort of things where it is allowed to get slightly away from this more, uh, like realist and here's like the, the, um, you know, divine right of these kings sort of things, uh, is the saint stuff, but it's like they don't go that far with it. Um, well, yeah, they're not going to get like particularly weird with it. The, the divine right, uh, of kings stuff 
it ends up being like a dominant mode of like continental Europe kind of after this, I feel like more in my brain. Yeah. We have, we have a nation that we literally saw the disillusion of like tribal government and identity, which was like really fascinating when we, when everyone's hanging out at the all thing and deciding the rules of the nation, it had a flavor that was distinct to, I mean, this isn't, that was the, you know, this Iceland, this is Norway, but like we've seen what happens when the influence of another culture, the Christian culture comes and like paves over all interest and makes it homogenous in a way that ends up being like the death knell of European history in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, my interest in, in European history, to be fair, is like after, even after this stuff. So it's already, it's after the homogeneity happens. I'm not particularly, uh, up on when everything was its own small tribal government. Um, but, um, we just got to see it. We got to see the nuance exist alongside the myth and then become a reflection of like a very, a very traditional, and I mean that in like a derogatory sense, like great man of history. This man is ordained by God to rule the nation and he rules the nation. And some people say no and evil kings show up, but he rallies and defeats them at great cost. And, you know, just boring arc of history shit. And, uh, yeah. and seeing how baldly it exists to push a, you know, a little bit later, but active national identity narrative, um, like, St. Olivier's story exists to push the idea of what people wanted out of the Norwegian state when it, when it was written about. Um, and you can't detangle the two, but those two things, because it's meant to reflect like the new Christian Norway, just automatically have a flavor that I think is like uninteresting because I, you see it everywhere. It happened to everybody. <laughs> it's just not, yeah. not my, um, I mean, the, the, one of the facets of Christianity is the erasure of individual, like, character of people's, like, you know, indigenous identities, I guess. Or it's weird to think of, like, indigenous identities when we're talking about Europe, right? But th- that is what we're talking about at this level. Like, the, yeah. we saw the the local gods get stamped out and destroyed by the white Christ, Christ that they were talking about <laughs> last week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, This... The one thing I think that is kind of interesting with, like, you know, us looking back through our journey through this book that we were often pretty bored with. But, like, if we go back to Inglinga Saga, like the Saga of the Inglings, uh, which, again, just ruled. Long line of, yes. of kings beefing it. Um, but, like, it starts with, like, Odin and, like, yes. people being descended from him. And there's, like, that still that mode of, like, for a while that was a very important thing to have the divine right of kings. And part of the whole thing of St. Olivier is like that process happened. And then you got to this, this guy, and then you just like make him a saint and you can like declare the divine right. But now under like, you know, Christian rule, um, and still like preserve that idea of like some sort of God, uh, instilling like this line with the, the right to rule. Um, but yeah, it's like this moment, us reading through, um, you know, St. Olaf Saga is the, like, moment where the need for, like, Englinga Saga to, like, give some sort of godly validity to the this family line is no longer even necessary. Yeah. Um, and in fact, like, a tie to Odin would be seen as, like, de facto embarrassing um, to a good Christian king, right? Yeah. 
And so that's how you also get, like, I'm recording these old stories about this, but I'm also going to have this little stuff about how, like, Odin was also kind of just a guy. He was just a king once. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, the, this introduced idea of, um, even as we're talking about uh, Odin as, like, a uh, in that first saga as, like, a somewhat godlike figure who's, like, walking and people think might come again, um, is also specifically, like talking about the ways that oh you know our word like this word dear which like you could translate as gods was just an old word for chief um things like that Mm -hmm. um which is also notable because um in like at the time that this is being written the the word for god is like changed to be like more linked to good um it, like Gvus would be the word for like Christian God. Mm. Um, uh, the one other thing I wanted to note, just since we're like not going to read more of um, this book, is I we we never got to the one that I think I've alluded to a few times, where um, there's one saga in here that's four pages long, mm. um, and uh, included in like. Like, I, about, let me look at this. Like, one of those four pages, uh, approximately, is devoted to talking about mo- more miracles of, uh, like, St. Olivier, um, including, like, a shrine to St. Olivier being dropped, and at that moment, like, where it w- fell, they found, like, a murdered child buried and stuff. <laughs> um, there's, like, more St. <laughs> Olivier stuff in this, four page chapter about a king and then the funniest detail to it is you get to the end and like the 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 final chapter eight (laughs) of this four page saga um wait chapter eight yes there's only eight the final is chapter eight no i just mean like it's four pages but eight they they're booking through those chapters my word yeah they are they this is it's like uh page 664 is the start of it Mm-hmm. Um, and the final one says, uh, so this is, uh, King Olivier the Gentle. King Olivier often resided in the country on the large estates he owned there. Uh, but when he went, was east in the district of Ranriki on his farm in, uh, Haukbeyer, he was struck down by a sickness which caused his death. He had then been king of Norway for 26 years. <laughs> uh, Good after God. having been chosen king. One year after the fall of King Harald. Um, There's like a whole section of the King Oliver stuff that we didn't cover because it's not very interesting where they – it spends a chapter talking about how people kind of argue about how long Oliver was king. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, we don't know. It was probably around like 16 years, but who can say? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, there is an entire chapter about the length of King Oliver's reign uh, for for St. Oliver. Yeah, I just think it's especially – because – uh, King Olivier the Gentle is, is so called because he's just like um, a pretty nice guy who mostly just like keeps Norway in a state of peace mm-hmm. for a while. Uh, so he's not har- uh, harrying. He's yeah. not, he doesn't have to Christianize people anymore. Nope. He's not going to war. And so the saga doesn't give a shit what happens in those 26 years. <laughs> uh, more interested in uh, while he was king, they dropped a shrine of King Olivier and found a murdered child. Yeah. Um, I just think it's very like that saga in particular is just funny because it, it to me reveals some of the like priorities of the the author and what what they want to talk about. 
Yeah. Because I bet interesting stuff happened in that guy's life. It's just not important to, you know, what mm-hmm. what these sagas want to be about. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're done. Yeah, we're done. Times Kringle is in the books. Yeah. Um, part of me is like in, in, you know, the fullness of this podcast, if we ever wanted to go back and reread some, but I don't think we want to. I mean, I'm not getting rid of my book. I will have it around yeah. in case we want to crack it open. I did reach the end and go, I mean, we're like most of the way through this book. At some point I should probably sit down and like crank the rest. Yeah. But I just I don't mean, know how, I just don't know how valuable that would be for us to do on this show. I mean, yeah. what, what this show is for is a very good, if you wanted to ask that question, and I don't really, because the show <laughs> is for you and me to hang out. That It's an excuse yeah. for us to podcast every week. Um, but beyond that, if you want to ask what it is for beyond that, um, that's a, that's a, a question I don't think I have a good answer to. Because we're not trying to be an exhaustive, like, oh, we're doing the classics. Um, we're kind of just chasing whatever our interest catches us. And we started on these books, so we'll continue to do books, especially since there's a strike on. We can't, like, pivot to movies. Um, I don't know if yeah. I want to if we if we could anyway, you know. Um, we both have movie multiple movie podcasts. Yeah. Um, and there, there's also, like, I mean, we're about to move on to something else that um, – I, I certainly hope and I, I think is going to be more exciting because it is just going to be more in the realm of like weird myth stuff. Um, and I think as we like jump around into some of the other styles, um, and also probably get a little bit more outside of the purview of just like the Icelandic or like old Norse sagas. Um, there's still other interesting stuff that we'll, we'll have fun reading and talking about. So, um, but there's a certain amount where I'm like, I think we've exhausted what the King sagas are. <laughs> yes. Um, there's not, I, I feel increasingly like I'm running out of things to say about them. Like when we record, that's why we talk about it so short, uh, mm-hmm. for such a short amount of time. Um, but, it, and it's also this thing of like, if we ever did truly want to go back to this book, like maybe we could and we'd have a better time because we're not just like in it for, you know, months on end. Um, we just like pick up one and read one. Uh, but I still just don't think I'm going to have the pull to like do it on the podcast. I might try to read through and finish it at some point, but, um, cause I think I've only done that like once and that was like, uh, high school or undergrad or something. So it's been a while. Okay. Um, but, and there's like a few other pe- guys who, who come up in like, other Icelandic sagas that we haven't quite gotten to. We've gotten to all the main ones, but um, I guess the the last one is like Haraldur Hard Ruler, um, who's more important to like late saga age stuff. But um, I mean, his name gives you the general vibe. He's a hard ruler. People don't like him. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So I don't know if we need to like read his whole saga just to know his deal. Um. I think that's it. I mean, we're, we can talk about other things, but that's it for the saga stuff. Yeah. Um, nibble lung and lead. We got our copies. I assume you have a copy. I have a copy. Yep. Um, we're reading the AT Hato translation. Uh, if the, if you want the paperback, it's the penguin classics version, which I'm holding in my hand right now. Um, do you want to do three chapters or four chapters? Um, let, let's start with three. 
And then okay. if we're like, eh, we can pick this up a little bit. We can we can do that. But that's fine. We'll be doing the first three chapters. Um, there's like a brief forward and stuff, which uh, you can totally read if you want. Um, I probably will glance at it, but I never find those particularly interesting. So I don't expect us to talk about it very much. It's like really, it's like literally two pages. It's a very short forward. Yeah, I was looking at. Um, so if you look at the table of contents, there's like forward acknowledgments, then like the actual text, and then an introduction to a second reading. Yeah. Um, and so I like briefly looked at that, and then I looked at the forward, and the forward basically seems to be like, I have like a tiny bit that I want to say at the beginning, but part of it is like, just go and read through it, and then read about the second reading, and like, come back to it, and and, you know, that time maybe like you have all of this like additional context that I'm going to bring or whatever. Mm. Um, but it, it does seem like it's like very intentionally set up for, you know, kind of just jump into the text first. Um, and then when you get to the end, you can, you can read all about like, who was the poet? Um, you know, like, what do we know about whoever wrote this? Uh, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it seems like a pretty breezy read also. So this is probably going to be a easy jumping on point. If someone would like to jump on um, the goal, hopefully is changing up what we're doing. will revitalize us for talking about the actual books and not just push through to get to where we talk about some bullshit on the other side. That's the goal anyway. Yeah. Um, and we had fun with Vilsunga saga, which is, you know, uh, same like base text that yeah. they're coming out of. So I mean, yeah, at um, some point I would like to circle back around and do like the Edas, which is the full on myth yes. version of this stuff. So, <clears throat> um, I had I was thinking about that uh this week, where um, it I would have to like look into to the the various ones, but like if I remember correctly, the I think the penguin one is like really focused on just like giving you a translation and not trying to replicate like um any of the meter or like uh you know rhyming or like consonants and stuff that exists in in like etic poetry mm-hmm. um and then there's one that's by the same translator who did um Hamskringla the the version of Hamskringla that we read um and that one is like really trying to like adapt the the poetry of it um and so I think if when we did like the Ada, it could be fun to just do like, you know, a poem and read like both versions. So we have more of like, here's the easily understood, giving you like more context about how they're translating specific words for like understandability. Then here's the one that's trying to like actually give you the sense of what the, the rhythms and the, the sounds and stuff would be. Oh, um, fucking overachiever over here trying to turn this into a I'm real just saying, classic it's spot. Like, you know, we're, the the etic poems are not like super long. Okay. I mean, there's a few that are that are longer, but um, there's some short ones. So yeah, I um I suspect when we go back to Icelandic stuff, we'll be, we will call that season three. Uh, I don't know what season two's whole shape looks like yet, but we're in it. We're about to be in it. <laughs> and I think I think if I was going to like throw a dart at what I would like it to be, is to just kind of feel out other works. Um. European or otherwise that ex- exist kind of in the same space of, you know, national legend. And then we'll see where we we land. What that looks yeah. like could be anything. I, I really would like to do some Arthur, Arthuriana as part of this podcast. Whether that happens in the season or not is, uh, I don't know yet. We haven't actually sat and talked about any of this. Yeah. 
I mean, we'll be in uh, Nibelungen lead for a while, so we have yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I I know there was like at least brief mention of like the Iliad, maybe. Oh um, yeah, because the uh, the Emily Watson. That's is that her name? I think so. Yeah, uh, who did the Odyssey a couple years back has a Iliad that I would like to read. I've read the Odyssey or yeah. translation of the Odyssey that was good. Um. And then uh, yeah, we could also do like Beowulf this this season probably. Oh, um, I guess we could. I guess we could. I maybe this is my like <laughs> bias in in like classics showing, but I feel yeah. like Beowulf is the most played out possible thing you could read outside of like Shakespeare. <laughs> is this just like a, a me thing? Is this like my baggage coming to this? Uh, I think I think it partially it like. You generally do have to like read at least an excerpt in high school. So I feel we, like. yeah, we read um, we read. Mm, I think I don't think it was a full Beowulf in high school, but it was a good chunk. It was a lot of Beowulf. Um, and then I read I've read Beowulf in various versions since then. Um, yeah, so it gets a little, that's why it's a little murky for me. Um, also, I was um, like a weird Tolkien nerd teen, so there was just a lot of Beowulf by nature. <laughs> Yeah. But no Nibelungenly. Don't ask me how that worked out. It just did. Yeah. It it is what it is. <laughs> um I mean I, I know one thing that uh like one of my experiences with Beowulf, because I obviously read it in or like part of it in high school. Uh but then as I was like reading the sagas and I was starting to like learn some Icelandic um independently like or for additional reasons um was more interested in like modern icelandic but modern icelandic is has changed relatively little compared to old norse so uh if you learn modern icelandic you do get like a decent grasp of old norse um and so after that i i found a like um dual language version of beowulf where it's like the english translation on one side and the old english on the other mm-hmm. um and especially when I was looking that I was struck by like, oh, I like understand some of this because <laughs> like old old English is closer to Icelandic than like modern English is close to old English. Yeah. So um that that was like the time where I like actually sat down and like really read Beowulf and um you know thought about it in the ways that are beyond just thinking about it for a class because you had to read an excerpt. So Especially yeah. like a high school class. So, um, yeah, I read a lot. The thing is, my high school doing a lot of lit classes in high school overlapped with my being a weird little classics nerd in my teens. So the two things become inexorable to me. Like, th- what what did I read for my British lit class versus what did I read for myself? I'm like, well, I read the Divine Comedy for myself, um, but I could see how I might confuse the two things. Uh, <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty um, sure I read Machiavelli all on my own. That was just me. Um, there, There's a lot. Of, like, there's some stuff that I read for classes that I enjoyed. There's definitely stuff that I, I read independently that mm-hmm. I could also see being something that, like, a class would make me read. Yeah. Um, but I do know that one of the like the classics that I had to read for a class and wasn't just me doing my own like weird branching out stuff. Because um, high school is when I like read the Adas. Like that's the first stuff that I read, really, I think, when it came to like Old Norse things. Um, but uh, 
one of the things that I remember reading was uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey. We had to like read both of them over the summer um, mm. for some class. I don't even remember like yeah my eight white my, grade or whatever. I think my world lit class we read the odyssey and then my ap lit class we read the iliad which is backwards because i took them in the order i just described um but i do fucking love the odyssey the odyssey is just a banger um i don't know necessarily i'd rather cover the iliad here because i think the iliad's more interesting to the things we would like to talk about i also think more people know about the story of the odyssey than they do the iliad necessarily yeah um I know that I, I really enjoyed the, the Iliad, but yeah, I read them both and, uh, the, like, the only time I've ever gotten, like, badly sunburned, um, <laughs> is, like, uh, my, so there's, like, a period where, like, basically every summer vacation, my parents would just, like, get a cheap beach house, because it was especially, like, as my other brothers were, like, a beach you house know, growing up and leaving. podcast, actually. You can find it at com slash beach house. Um, but they would like rent for like a week and it would just be like, uh, me and like my closest in age brother, or as it went on, like just me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, just increasingly became like, that was, it was just like a week in for the summer we would go. Um, and there was one time it was like, maybe it was one of the earlier times we went, but, uh, I, I had brought the Iliad and the Odyssey cause I had to read it over the summer. Um, and the first day I was just like outside all day and I got a really bad sunburn. And so the rest of the week I was just stuck inside, like just going out into the sun was physically painful for me and also probably a bad idea at that point. Uh, so it was just like applying like ointment and just staying inside while everyone else was doing things. Um, and I read through all of the Iliad and, and the Odyssey and just being sunburnt while like reading all the things about like the sun beating down on, on these people. Um, cause various moments it'll come up. Uh, I feel like it just like really, um, seared to to use the pun like seared those books into my mind so yeah um but also i just like i was definitely in a moment where i just like needed that that entertainment of reading it but it was it was one of the first times i got like extremely absorbed into um you know old classic literature uh and so i branched out from there but i like quickly moved away from from greco-roman stuff um and just moved on to, to various other things. Um, yeah, my I think my my trajectory was um like Beowulf uh Canterbury Tales into um into Dante and then from Dante it really went into like Arthuriana and um philosophy of like, you know, the like I said, Machiavelli and, and Descartes and stuff like that got really into the weeds real fast yeah um another thing that would be fun would would be to do some sort of like uh like maybe irish myths and legends or something yeah i don't know i don't know that much about that stuff uh because i never had like an irish culture phase i feel like in america there's some people who just like get really into it um and like this oh celtic stuff is so pretty and like conflate and i the amount i don't even i don't know i'm like i'm not even sure how much of a real overlap this and just or just like a cultural like america consuming broadly sort of overlap um yeah 
and then every time like an an, like an anime pulls from it you're like i don't know how to pronounce any of these words uh (laughs) see see the fucking ongoing uh catchy fucking controversy happening with square enix right now (laughs) yeah i can't believe that square enix said that my name is niam (laughs) (laughs) um oh it's my good friend niam yeah uh, it's the sound a race car makes when it goes by. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at um, because I I recently got uh recently it was like a, a couple years ago, yeah. um, the Penguin Classics early Irish myths and sagas, and mm-hmm. I've like read some stuff, but I don't actually know what's in that one. Okay. Um. So maybe I'll take a look at that and see, because I also feel like if like Penguin Classic stuff is usually pretty easy and accessible for like yeah. a copy for people to read. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. Maybe I'll take a look and and see what I just based on. I'm not like getting a list here of them, which is what I want when I like pulled it it up on Amazon. Uh, just to see, but they they do mention Kuchelan. So yeah. Um, oh, uh, the character know. from Fate Stay Night. <laughs> Um, I still just think that the origin of that name is like incredibly gay. Um, um I'll be honest, whenever, you- whenever it went to his backstory in fate, I was like, I don't, I don't know this story. And the way you're telling it in fate is boring. I'm just going to button through all that. There is a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, so he was born Satanta. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, there's a part where in self-defense, he, he like killed a King's guard dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, as an apology, even though it was self-defense, he was still like, I killed your guard dog. Uh, and so he offered to be that king's guard dog until he could find a suitable replacement. And mm-hmm. so his name is literally, like, uh, Kulan's dog. Like, yeah. Ku's dog. <laughs> um, so. I can't believe uh, when we when we cover that one, we're just going to have to put I Want to Be Your Dog as the outro music for the podcast, briefly. I've I've already done it once. <laughs> we could do a different version though. We don't need to do the uh the Japanese cover of it. That we would not be doing the Japanese cover, and I can assure yeah. you of this as the editor of this podcast. Yeah. I'm assuming it would just be the original. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um although would it be the faster one or the slower one? Because there are two. Oh, I don't know. I'd have to see where my heart is when we do it. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, that stuff could be that stuff could be fun. Yeah. Um, oh, to be determined. We'll, we will. We'll keep yeah. you abreast of the situation. Like you said, we'll probably be doing the Nibelung and Lights for the end of the year, like until next year. So. Yeah. We will be um, for a while. Are are we taking next week off or are we just No, no, no. Back? I don't intend okay. to um cuz it's not it's not like editing time which is normally when we did that. Um, yeah. So we will we will probably get another 2 weeks in before we even consider uh, 2 weeks recording not 2 weeks release cuz this one will come out on the 11th and then next one we will record on uh, on the 11th for the 18th and then the week after that'll be the week we take off but I don't know. It's weird because it, part of it was when I was editing abnormal mapping um, this podcast used to be I t- an immediate turnaround at night, and that was a whole night where I devoted to recording and editing this. And it was what I'm saying is it on not, just not taking breaks anymore is on the table, but on some level, I think the taking breaks is like good for our mental health. It just when we do them could be a floating day, you know? Yeah, yeah, we can we can kind of like pick and choose ones. Um, yeah, you know, there might be one where I'm like, eh, 
I like I'm trying to figure out how to get various stuff to work. Um yeah. you know. At yeah. some point Connor's gonna get married and like we're gonna have to I think it's like the the date that he planned is when we would normally record. So we will have to reschedule that one. Um, okay. So um that's gonna be like during the Nana season, Connor will get married. I'm still wondering like what part of the book we're gonna be in when that happens. But oh, I hope it's a deeply ironic to be fair, that's yeah. most of Nana <laughs> to have a wedding happen during. <laughs> um but yeah. I have to go to a wedding this weekend, too. Okay. So, um I feel like we've done enough enough housekeeping. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know how much else I have for you, I'll be honest with you, but we can totally just chat for a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm awake now. I'm like, I, I need some water. Um, you know what? I'm going to go get some water. I'll be right back. Uh, vamp. And if you don't vamp, I'll just cut it out. Um, but you're okay. usually pretty good at vamping. Yeah. Uh, I mean, last time vamping, I just told people to, to go to the Discord and say that they liked the episode. Which is thank you to everybody who did do that. Um, I do appreciate that. Uh, feel free to do that again this time. Um yeah, otherwise, uh, I'm still annoyed about this fiber internet situation. Um, I just have like a weirdly busy, uh, weekend. Cause also, uh, Emily, my wife's, uh, sister-in-law is going to be in town. And also, um, her mom will be in town as well. Like Emily's mom. Um, because we need somebody to watch our kid while we go to the wedding on Saturday. So I'm just going to like have a busy weekend, but, um, you know, it is what it is. This has also just been a weird week because it's my first week of, uh, you know, two days in office. Um, cause I went from normally it was Thursday. So I'm glad that like we record this Wednesdays. I don't have to go to bed like at 10 o'clock. Like, let me, let me look. Hi. I'm back. Um, I was just saying how, like, I don't have to drive in to the office, you know, uh, after we record this podcast, like, ever. I mean, we're doing this on a Thursday instead of a, a Wednesday, but um, even on Wednesdays, I don't have to drive in. Um, so it's not, like, going to be 10 o'clock and I'm like, uh, I should probably start going to bed. Did you um, get your water? Yeah, I did. It's great. Nice cold water. Yeah. Um, I'm having, I have these like high, you know, electrolyte tablet things that I put, uh, nice. cause otherwise I get cramps in my, my, like, especially my feet. Um, yeah. What's your, what's your malfunction? You just get cramps a lot. I feel like you get a lot of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of it is like between hormone replacement involves a diuretic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on another diuretic for like just high blood pressure that I've had for a, a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think just like a genetic thing. Cause like my dad had it, my, my, uh, Opa had it, like, it just like goes up the line. Um, and I was also born with a heart murmur. So I'm like, there's always a part of me that I'm like, man, there's also a lot of cancer in my family. So just generally bad all all around there but um you know 
uh, Oma Ashkenazi Jew. So that's like in and of itself its own thing. But anyway, uh, you know, the, the, like stuff that I take for the high blood pressure is a diuretic. I'm on Adderall now, which is a diuretic. Uh, so all of that stuff means that I need to like constantly hydrate. Um, because otherwise I just like feel awful. Like I have, you know, dehydration headaches constantly. Um, and so I, I drink a lot of water throughout the day, but if you're only drinking water, you're not like replenishing the electrolytes. And That's so if that happens, then I start getting cramps. Uh-huh. Um, and part of it is like a potassium deficiency, yeah. which is bizarre because, uh, like most like trans femme people who are doing hormone replacement stuff. Uh, like Spiro is a potassium sparing. So usually you have to be careful about the amount of potassium you eat. Whereas sometimes if I'm like having a period where I'm having like my feet are extra cramping in addition to just like the electrolytes, I'm like, well, I'm going to eat like a banana with breakfast and I'm going to like get some plantain chips to snack on. Like (laughs) I'm going to like make sure to have some potatoes with dinner. Like (laughs) some, um, Cause yeah, the potassium in particular, I think is one of the things that can cause like muscle spasms and, and cramps. Mm. There's, there's a few other dehydration related things, but, um, especially when it happens and I'm like hydrated, but, um, if it is happening, if I walk around on it and like just chug a glass of water, it does help. But, um, so yeah, like every day I have like, and I used to be drinking Gatorade, but, but Gatorade just has so much sugar. Um, that I, I uh, you get the sugar, like, you can get the zero sugar kind. When I'm yeah. sick, man, all I want is zero sugar. I, I'm not like particularly brand loyal. Gatorade, vitamin water, whatever. I'll I'll just drink it. But I the zero sugar kinds got me through. When I when I had COVID, we I just ordered immediately ordered like three to six packs and just threw them on the fridge and sucked them all yeah. down. Um. I mean, and then part of it too is like, so I was getting like the low sugar, like zero sugar stuff, but then like, that's just a lot of bottles of Gatorade that I have to like stock up and keep constantly. And it's a lot easier to just, uh, for a while I used to do like the, the powders, um, and you would like put it in, like I'd put it in a water bottle and like shake it up to like mix it all up. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially with that, because I would have to put it in a water bottle and like seal it up and then you shake it. And then like all of the like various stuff in the powders, like getting on the seal. Um, I just had like multiple seals get nasty from that, even like with cleaning constantly. Um, so uh, I found these ones that are like a little tablet that like fizz up almost like Alka-Seltzer um, and then like mix that way. And so you can just put it in like a glass of water um, and it will just like you know, you just leave it while it like fizzes for a while and then it like mixes up. And it also is then like slightly bubbly, which Mm -hmm. helps with when my throat feels a little rough because I'm having like asthma coughing. So, um, it gives me that bubbly and then also the electrolyte. So it's been like the best solution for me, but, um, yeah. Anyway, um, I was going to say, like, what have you been up to? But I know that the answer is mostly still kind of recovering from COVID. It's been this week's been weird because, like, I feel like I'm improving. But then, like, I'll be like, oh, I feel I feel much better today. And then I'll, like, take out the trash and need to lie down for half an hour. So, no, no, I'm not actually improving in the way that I want. It's, like, insidious because, like, 
the energy just is so ephemeral. Um, but yeah, my recovery from COVID has been bad this time. Like, I'm not sick, but I have a cough. It's not like a productive cough. It's just a cough. Generally, I think my voice is just not where I want. I don't feel short of breath, but the cough is like definitely disruptive, especially when I'm trying to sleep. And then I just can't fucking get enough sleep in me. I'm just always tired. Just like real fatigue problems. Um, and it's only been like three weeks, so who knows, right? Because the yeah. tale of recovery, like, they're like, I was looking, it's like, most of us like, you know, wait, you don't, you can't even tell for like eight, like six to eight weeks is when you'll be like, oh, these are chronic symptoms and not just like a long recovery. So I still got a ways to go, but man, it's just so discouraging. Yeah. I feel like I live too busy a lifestyle to be uh, this low on energy. I'm having a... I'm getting all my work done, but I'm not having a the joy that I normally have doing the things I do in my life lately. It's been it's been hard. Yeah. Um the one thing like if if there is before the like full time where you would want to go into a doctor, mm-hmm. um a lot of them will have like a a sample steroidal inhaler that they can yeah. like give you and see if it it helps. Um and yeah, surely sometimes it is like uh, I mean, my kid probably has asthma like I do, and it's just a kid right now, and it like is not as bad. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I just did not go in when I had a a cough that became a chronic cough for too long. Um, yeah. I mean, I I have a doctor's appointment in two weeks that I already have for as so I and I couldn't yeah. get into my doctor earlier than two weeks if I wanted to because doctors in 2023 it's hard to get in to see doctors. Um, yeah. And so I'm just like, I will wait it out by then. It will have been about, it'd be like five or six weeks, which is on the edge of like, hey, this is still a problem. Can we do something about it? Um, so I'm just kind of waiting it out. But as my therapist could tell you, it's, ha- me waiting anything out is truly the <laughs> thing I am worst at in life. <laughs> yeah. I've just been, I've, Monday was really bad. I was really tired. I like, I tried to take it easy over the weekend and I went into Monday and I just felt hollowed out and I was very down about it. Um, and it's been a little better for the rest of the week, but it's, uh, I just don't trust it. And I, I, it sucks. That's all. I don't know. I don't, I don't have anything yeah. interesting to say about it. I've just been gaming. I've been, you know, I'm on top of all of my deadlines. Um, and so that it's fine, like nothing's slipping, but, uh, the quality of life in that is not, um, it's not been great. And I, I tend to be, uh, I think I'm, a. I would not call myself like a, a dour person. Usually, you know, I tend to be pretty chipper and it, that part's been totally robbed for me. And so it's been, even when I'm like depressed, I'm like usually like a cheerful depressive. If, so, if, <laughs> if such a thing makes sense, I think you understand what I'm talking about. I don't know if the audience yeah. understands what I'm talking about. Um, and, uh, it's just, I just haven't had it. I've just felt like. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to do anything. I just want to lay down all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been there. Yeah. Um, but, so yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you don't have too much else you've been doing. No, I've just been gaming and all like most of that I, I is going to be for like I finished Shenmue and that was great, but I don't really have anything to say. And like, you don't care about Jet Set Radio Future. I'm saving that for abnormal mapping. And I mean, I, I've played it, but yeah, yeah, um, I, I don't I don't I don't have much going on. I haven't really been watching VTubers. All the YouTube I've been watching has gotten really scattershot and bad. Um 
That's it. I'm uh, boring. I have nothing. I have nothing yeah. for you. I feel. I'm very sorry. Yeah. Uh, I I feel a little bit boring, but more in the just like I keep plugging away. Um, like you know, still watching the rest of streams. Mm-hmm. Um, I doing? feel like there's. I feel like I haven't seen anything from her that isn't an innuendo about boobs or something in like a minute. <laughs> Yeah, because the Clippers are truly obsessed with her being like the openly horny one in a way that I've I've, I've really gotten tired of. I'm like, yeah, I I know for a fact she has more personality than this, but you need to give it to her. Yeah, she she does. Um, there's also a way that like whenever the horny stuff comes up, just having also seen some of the other stuff, um, where it's just like she's slightly just more honest about like being horny about stuff sometimes. Where I'm like. Mm-hmm. When you're watching a full stream and then it just like briefly comes up, you're like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, yeah. like uh, I, I will take this over the like um, extreme, like sort of performative talking around it that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just like am not even watching. I mean, there's definitely streams like nurses streams that I've not watched at this point because uh, I'm just not watching every single one like I, I was previously. Um, yeah. Once they get once feature settle in, it's like almost impossible to keep up with all their stuff. You have to devote yeah. yourself. I get it. Um, Some people have like their like Kamiyoshi and they just watch them and that's kind of their hobby. But I don't. I VTubing is like a fourth tier hobby for me. I no one's getting that kind of time. Yeah. Um. Also, like my time to watch VTubers. Uh, has changed now that I go into the office two days a week. So, um, but yeah, so, but I, I will then sometimes see like, oh, here's like clips from like, you know, a a stream that I haven't seen. And in most cases I just look at it and I'm like, I'm not going to watch that because it's not what I actually care about. Like, (laughs) um, it's not like her having an actual personality. It's just going to be some like vaguely horny thing. Uh, boringly needs, horny. She thing. needs clippers like Bibu's got clippers because I don't watch Bibu yeah. streams because Bibu plays games I don't give a fuck about. Um, but Bibu's clippers will grab any time she is just being like vibing and being cute and talking yeah. about other other streamers, and it's very wholesome and good. Um, and Narissa needs that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do watch Bibu clips because they're good. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to watch Bibu play Elden Ring for 18 hours or whatever, which is all Bibu does is just, she is a long haul gamer and I, I respect it, but I'm not interested. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I feel like that's been like part of what I've been doing. Um, I'm also like more trying to catch up with some podcasts that I got behind on. Um, I'm at the point now where, uh, for the most part, there's like the days where just a bunch of podcasts will drop. Um, just like the way that various friends and whatever else I'm listening to lines up. Yes. Um, but, uh, especially going in office, like in office days, I'm mostly just listening to podcasts or I'm listening to music. Um, and so that stuff in particular has gotten like, very easy to stay on top of um where uh often there is a a point where i'm just like even if i have some like podcasts left it's not like you know it's not like oh here's like a a voip life that i want to listen to right away um you know it's some like 
podcast that's not even one of my friends' podcasts or whatever. Yes. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I can get to that tomorrow. I'm going to switch yeah. over. And I've been listening but, to a lot of Japanese punk music right now, in part just because I'm like picking songs for the, the Nana episodes. Mm. Um, and so some of it is like, oh, looking around, seeing if any other ones like, you know, I, I have a like playlist that I've made of here are some ones that I think would be like good OPs or, or EDs. And I sort of go with the feeling from the reading and, you know, what came up in it when I make my decision. But, um, but yeah, then also because of that, I've just had the, like, like, I'm just listening to it enough that it's like the music I'm into right now. So, um, I'm also just like listening to various albums, um, from all sorts of, uh, Japanese punk musicians, so, um, but that's my, those are like the, the two, and then I've been playing a little bit, um, on the Steam Deck, mostly, uh, Soul Hackers 2, which I know you probably don't want to hear that much about, so. How is it? Um, has it gotten more, I feel like you've been kind of like down on it. You have not expressed displeasure, but I feel like the, the things you talk about to me evoke that you are not, you did not immediately like vibe with it. Um, it's, it's like the, specifically the choice of, I did not immediately vibe with it is an interesting choice because it is just, I I feel like it's like, I purely just like kind of sitting with the vibes. Right. Like yeah. I enjoy playing it where I'm like, oh, like it's it's sort of got the like Shimigami Tensei vibe stuff. Um, and the thing is that there, there's like, again, it, it's still so frictionless um, mm-hmm. compared to a lot of these things and like kind of paired back in this way where um, I'm enjoying the vibes of it. But I'm also nothing is like grabbing me as like, oh, this is a, a interesting thing. Um you know, and sometimes it's like, I think the Persona series often have the most interesting characters, even if, uh, the games don't always do, you know, great by them. Um, they're the like characters I'll think about and turn over the most. Um, I feel like, uh, other series will have like mechanics or something that I'll find like kind of interesting to like try to explore the edges of. Um, and it's even like, cause, cause, you know, all of them will have, like, if you hit something with a weakness, you get some sort of benefit. And sometimes it's yes. like you get extra turns or, um, it might be, uh, you know, you, you knock them down. And if you knock all of them down, you get an all out attack. And if you don't, then they like still have to get up or whatever. Um, there's like all of those various things. Um, and in Soul Hackers too, it's just like, if you hit them with a weakness, then like the shadow of the, like, demon that you use to attack will like float next to the enemy and then once you've done your turn of all four of your characters like do their attack before the enemy does one uh the main character ringo just like summons those those demons that the shadows were hanging out and they all go and they like sort of do an all-out attack style thing that just does damage to and like the more that you have hanging hanging out the more damage you do but Uh there's no like Within that, there's no, like, uh, push or pull, right? Uh, it's just, like, if you hit them with something they're weak against, you get, like, this additional little damage boost at the end. Um, instead of, like, you know, a press turn thing where the order of, like, when you're, you're 
party is going to act is still important because if you only get two extra turns, it's just the two that like go first or you have to like try and correctly time out like who's going to pass on their turn to like give you a press turn so that the one that you want to be able to act again happens. There's still like more happening in like, you know, Shimigami Tensei 4 or there's a little bit more happening in like who are you choosing to knock down in Persona 4 that might be beneficial for a fight or whatever. Um, Persona 4 or like Persona games with the, the like knockdown all at attack is a little bit closer to like what Soul Hackers 2 is doing, but there's still like additional benefits you get for doing that beyond just like doing more damage. Um, and there's like ways that you can like not want to do an all that attack because it's more useful to have like enemies knocked down or whatever. Um, and this just like, again, makes it so frictionless where it's just like, and then you get extra damage. So, um, yeah, it's one of those things where I, I play it and I enjoy the vibes, but then like after I'm done playing it, I'm like not really thinking that much about like what's happening in the story or the mechanics or whatever. Um, so, uh, it, it's the most just like, oh yeah, this is a Shin Megami Tensei game. I'm playing another one. Um, so it has given me this like slight itch to, um, go back and replay the digital devil saga games. Um, Mm. because those ones, like you don't even really recruit like demons in them. You are fighting demons, but it's, it's more just like a RPG party progression. Um, yeah, I'd always heard those ones as the most Final Fantasy of the SMT yes. games. There's a part of me that feels like uh, of SMT games. If you like had the urge to go play one, you you might get some. You might like enjoy those ones a little more just because it's not. Those are the ones that as... Jackson always threatened to make us play from Romapping back when we were going to do such a thing. I don't think we're going to ever probably touch SMT at this point, just because yeah. dispositionally. Um, I don't know how many RPGs we're going to play. Period. After the next six months, so who can say? Um, yeah. But, um, um, and it's also the one where like, like, uh, you know, there's a move in soul hackers too called eat hole where like it does damage and you recover some HP. Mm. Um, and I think you get like maybe a little bit more of an HP burst if it like defeats the enemy or whatever. Um, but like, there's like specific moments in combat in digital devil saga where you choose whether or not to like devour the enemy. Um, and then like you get various stuff from that. Uh, and like the way it's depicted is far more, it's like not just like you do an attack, but it's like, uh, this weird cannibalism thing happening. Um, so, uh, there are ways that like I just find those two games sort of weird in a way that the series has never quite gone back to. Um, so I have this like slight impulse to, cause I, I never finished the second one either. So there's like that. But I have multiple. I, I also have this, like, oh, I want to go back and replay Final Fantasy X and then X-2 because I never beat X-2. I, like, really love X-2 now. Yeah, um, it's great. I had, like, uh, more... Um, I was trans and didn't know what weird feelings about X-2 when I first played it, um, oh, but sure. did enjoy it at the time. And, and now I'm just like, no, that's fucking great. Uh, but I never got... I never, like, beat it. Um, I got pretty far in it, so... Mm. Um, 
I do think Final Fantasy VIII is probably the like big thing I'm going to try and play next. But because I know yes. you love Final Fantasy VIII, almost Not Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy VIII is saying I love Final Fantasy VIII is an understatement. I Final Fantasy VIII is like my favorite game. Period. Yeah, it's like saying that I love Chrono Cross. Yeah, it's like yeah. <laughs> Uh, for all of its weirdness and all the messiness, and I think I think in many ways it's like a messier, especially systems-wise game than Chrono Cross. Chrono Cross fucking honed to a T compared to Final Fantasy VIII's mess of systems. Um, yeah. But Final Fantasy VIII is just like a the, the foundational RPG for me. Love it. I think it's uh, so fucking cool. Um, yeah, my RPG like wish list is weird. Like I'm playing East eight right now and i'm having a pretty good time which is good because i was really down on the idea of east eight i'm glad that i got over it and uh, found the game once it took off a little more um but things i'd like to do it's like i would like to play uh speaking in two because we played one for abnormal mapping i don't think we're gonna do two for abnormal mapping um i'd like to play um Shadow Hearts. I don't think that's going to be an episode. I don't know. Jackson has flip flopped on expressing interest in playing Shadow Hearts multiple times. So I don't know where we're at <laughs> with that. <laughs> um, I'd like to play uh, Parasite Eve two at some point because I've never played two. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and those are kind of my, like my big. Uh, I would. I kind of want to play Dot Hack, the original four games. Oh yeah, I um I only played the first one back in the day, so I have those mm-hmm. on my Steam Deck. Um, and I know they're really short, so it wouldn't take very long. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I've been wondering with Final Fantasy VIII is how much I should try to use a guide. Um, oh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. Uh, you're not like a guide person by default, are you? No, I, yeah. I usually so that's do my thing not is I am guides. always, I just was, because I grew up with these RPGs in the 90s where like a lot of the PlayStation ones just really fuck you over. Not really Final Fantasy, but it's just like... I've always been a person like uh, having a guide like that I'm consulting kind of back and forth. As I play the game is like a default mode for me. And I, I, it's weird to me that none of my friends are like that. I've just always been like that. Um, the, the one way that I would do, if I decide to do a guide, I want to find the like Prima games or Brady games or whatever, you know, Final I, Fantasy VIII guide. Yeah. But yeah. like the, like a PDF of the old Final Fantasy VIII guide, or that if I can what, find it like cheap, just a physical yeah. thing that's, yeah, you know, Final not Fantasy, completely Final Fantasy VII, VIII, and IX. Maybe it's because Earthbound was one of my first RPGs and that came with the fucking guide. I really think that might be it. Um, and like when I played Pokemon, like Nintendo Power had been doing like little guides in the like lead up, like every month they'd put a little bit of that more of the game in it. So yeah. to me, an RPG is like the guide is like a is an accessory to playing the RPG. It's about the back and forth of you and a guide in the game all together. Um and then Final Fantasy Nine happened. They had the weird like half the guide was online, but they actually sold the guide and just had codes to type into the website to get the rest of the guide. It was terrible, and that's kind of when I had enough internet. Like Game FAQs had taken off, and I just fully transitioned to Game FAQs. And I still use Game FAQs. I use Game FAQs all the time. Uh, <laughs> I was using Game FAQs yesterday. Um, still living that life because I don't want to watch a video about when I get stuck in a game. I want to read someone writing a way out of it. <laughs> Yeah, or go to like a convoluted web page with too many photos that yes. are unhelpful, and yes. you get to the bottom of it, and you're like, "Well, shit, I have to go to the next fucking page because the thing I wanted actually isn't on this one." Because <laughs> there's yeah. like four different pages to tell me how to do this one part of the dungeon or whatever. Um, um, I will say though that Final Fantasy, as long as you, 
as long as you acknowledge that like you will not get if you if you don't use a guide you're gonna not get all the cards though you probably won't get all the cards anyway because no one plays that way in 2023 um as someone who's 100 percented those games multiple times like literally multiple times starting from zero and getting everything um no one plays that way anymore i don't play that way anymore um i was just 15 and had nothing but time um uh, there's like missable stuff, but it is a very approach. It is a very approachable game. Final Fantasy, especially on the PlayStation, is fucking easy. <laughs> yeah, the one thing is, I I've always heard about like how the Gambit system or whatever is weird, and, uh, and not the Gambit system I know. What's that? What's the one in uh, Final Fantasy Eight? Is the Guardian Force Injunction stuff? Oh yeah, GF. GF yeah. stands for Guardian Force. Yes. Um. Which yes. is, so the way so the way that works is like magic is like a resource you you draw from enemies. Um, like when you when you fight, there's just a command called draw, and you you can they have a certain amount of magic you can take like three to ten of them at a time. And then on the world map, there's like draw points you can get magic, or if you have cards, you can convert them into magic. And the guard you equip the guardian forces to the characters like their accessories because there's no armor in Final Fantasy 7. There's like a weapon and I think there's like one other thing. It's or in Final Fantasy 8, it's been a second. I, maybe it's just the weapon. Um there's just not a lot of gear, but the Guardian Force has all of the like stat boosts and it has like a junction skill, like multiple various Guardian Forces have different skills and they they level up and learn more skills as they go, but it's like junction hit points if you have it on a guardian force and you equip that to squall that means you can put your magic stock onto your hit point stat and raise your hit point stat and some magics give you more hit points than others i think cure magic gives you more hit points than like fire magic um but then when you use the magic that number goes down a little bit every time so you kind of want to keep your magic store stocked and not spend more magic than you're gathering so you can keep your stats junction or if you want to be a sicko just draw 99 of them and sit on huge stats from the jump of the video game it totally will let you do that yeah um yeah the the thing that i've always because the way that people talk about it um it is not too dissimilar from the way that people talk about like uh you know the traps and stuff in um chrono cross but it's mm-hmm. like where where it's like oh you got to do this or else you're like you know yes. gonna be screwed or whatever and it's like you really don't need really, to the, the thing um, I, the thing i think of is like when people play final fantasy 2 you, you'll like read an old guy and the advice is like oh you gotta you gotta sit and attack your characters until you get your hit points way up and it's like no you really you, you truly don't have to do that the game is like tuned to be normal <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can just play it normal. One of the weird quirks of Final Fantasy VIII in particular is that um, enemies level with your average party level, and it's always a thousand experience points to the next level, and leveling up really doesn't get you much of anything. Um, and so if you really want to be a sicko, the goal is to do low level runs where you're using like a, like there's an ability that turns an enemy into a card once they're damaged and you get the card for your card stock. Uh, because you'll get the you'll get the AP, which is the points to get more abilities for your guarding forces, but you won't get any experience. So you can be at the fucking third, fourth disc at like a level eleven squall and have like tons of incredible magic and items because you've turned every enemy into a card and you turn those cards into magics. Uh, and then the enemies are fucking pushovers because they're all level eleven. Yeah, don't play that way. It's it's also a sicko way to play the video game. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, it's just that thing where, like, because I know it's, like, more core than the, like, 
traps in in Chrono Cross. Yes. So I'm yes, always no like, to play, how much no do I need to like make sure fall. you're going to this area to get this like element because it's your one choice. Um, but yeah, I can probably yeah. just dive into it. But yeah, nothing nothing is missable in the way that like character recruits in Chrono Cross are missable. Really, like there's some cards, right? But it's not it's not as it's not as like. There's summons in Chrono Cross I just didn't see, right? Um, yeah. And that, that's not... There might be a few Guardian Forces you wouldn't get, but that's mostly not true of Final Fantasy VIII. Final Fantasy VIII is a very mainstream video game. It has a lot of weird yeah. systems, and you can break them. In a, it's a very breakable game, um, and it'll immediately become apparent the ways in which you can do that. Um, but it doesn't really require any of it. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. I mean, the other thing, too, is that, like... Again, if I used a guide, I would just want to do the, like, Brady games or whatever yes. one. Um, for two reasons, which is, like, one, the times when I would have a guide, like, I do have the guide to Chrono Cross. And it would be, like, if I played an RPG and I liked it enough that I was going to replay it, I would then probably try to get the guide. Um, and I couldn't always, like, part of me not always getting the guide is like not having the money to. Um, yeah. But especially if I was like sinking the kind of time where I was going to play it multiple times, then I would like, Oh, instead of getting like a game or something, I'm getting the guide instead. Mm. Um, so I do have the experience of playing through um, like also having watched my brother beat final fantasy seven. When I was trying to play through it once I used the guide, I then didn't for some parts cause I got too too cocky about knowing where stuff was going uh, mm -hmm. and famously backfired on me. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Chrono Cross, I like played through multiple times with the guide afterwards. Um, yeah. And so I've also sometimes used a game facts, but like, I, I think game facts is great, but also sometimes you get into that like weird, like, Oh, you got to do all this stuff because it's going to be like the thing that's going to set you up to complete, you know, do this yes. or whatever. And yeah, so, so often a certain it's type not necessary. Of game FAQ that is um uh for crazy people. It's yeah. like here's here's how to do a hundred percent run, even if you've never touched a game before, and we don't really explain why you're doing anything, but we're just telling you you need to, oh, you need to make sure that you see right now you need to grind until you get thirty thousand gil and then you need to go to this guy and buy twenty four of these. Don't ask me why it'll be really important in twenty hours. <laughs> and then you finally get to the part where it's really important in twenty hours and it doesn't fucking matter, and you're like, yeah. Well, why did I do that? <laughs> Yeah, it's so, uh, yeah, yeah, that stuff is uh, rife. The thing, thing for me is partially it was like I was a Nintendo Power kid growing up. I got like basically my child, entire childhood I'd get Nintendo Power magazine because I was a Nintendo weirdo. Um, and every year you renewed, you got like as your renewal, your like subscription bonus, just a guide. So I would get guides for games I've already completed. Like, oh, I got, I really like this game. I'm going to get the guide for it because like that – it's a, it's an object with full of art and stuff about the game you like because that's that's yeah. the kind of kid I was. So yeah, uh, I that's feel like I just kind of grew of like, into being a guide weirdo naturally. Yeah, if I if I liked the game enough to replay it, it was also like getting the guide was for, especially like you know in America the getting the art book for a uh -huh. long time yes, until absolutely. they started actually bringing art books over or until like you know. I like imported the Chrono Cross art book at some point because I wanted it. Yeah. Um, it was like, you know, after yeah, I, remember, I imported I remember the, the, the soundtrack, the, but the Final Fantasy nine art book was like the first one I had seen. Like, Oh, you could just get this in a, in a Barnes and Noble. Like it's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had the, the, um, 
the Japanese like uh, pers- Persona Three art book. And then with Persona 4, I was going to get it and then, like, learned that they were doing an English version of it. And I was like, really? <laughs> um, so I feel like that was, like, one of the big moments, too. Because mm-hmm. um, especially something like that, where it's not just, like, you know, Final Fantasy, the huge ones. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I was like, oh, something's changed. Like, our books are going to actually come out here. Um, it's weird because, like, you're, it's true, but I, like... I imported the Atelier Sophie art book because that didn't get a release. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, too, is me living in Chicago, I can drive out to Mitsua and that art book, the Japanese oh, art book is probably sitting oh, on a shelf. I'm so jealous. If I ever yeah. come visit, you're going to take me there and I'm going to walk. I'm going to literally spend like $400 on bullshit. <laughs> yeah. We're going to like go in there and you're just going to buy a bunch of art books and like you know, a Japanese version of a manga that you really like that this is a thing I do. I don't know if you do it, but like I have I have volume one of Nana um just in Japanese, even I though I do not I'm do not this, but I do it, but... I would like to have Japanese Yotsuba at some point in my life. Yeah. Um Yeah, you're just gonna buy a bunch of that and then we'll we'll take it to the car and then we'll go back in and buy snacks and sushi and um there's, there's just so much stuff there. And then we'll record the world's most annoying podcast for yeah. everyone to listen to. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the thing. I go there sometimes and I'm just like, like sometimes I, I will be standing there looking at something where it's like an art book for a thing that like a friend who does not live anywhere near Chicago. Uh, I know what really likes. And sometimes I, I'm like, I don't know if I want to send a photo of this or not because like buying it and shipping it is still going to be a process, <laughs> but I, and I don't want to then just like brag to somebody that I could buy this right now. So well, there's definitely been is, art is, books I've seen that I've debated whether or not I should. You've sent me photos of art books I and I was like, get me this one. And then you've never did. Cause you, you don't actually yeah. like me. That that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> don't steal my lines. <laughs> um, Listen, <laughs> uh, if we figure out shipping, I can I can go look at art books and s- ship them to you. But um, yeah, um, I think that's probably a podcast. I'm tired. Yeah, yeah. we've gone like an hour twenty. We're doing good. Yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll be starting season two. There's not going to be any like musical changes or anything. We're just calling it season two. Yeah. Um we'll read uh j- just looking at the chapters of these these or the the titles of these chapters. Um yeah. Kreemhild, uh Siegfried. So we're you know, we're getting the 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 main actors here. Um and then how Siegfried came to Worms. Yep. And then how Siegfried fought the Saxons. Or wait, did we decide on four or three? We'll just do three. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess if we want to read about how Siegfried fought with the Saxons, we could, but... Yeah, we're good. We can start slow. Yeah. See how we feel. Um, Looking forward to it. Yeah. Where can people find you? You can find me at FoxOmnia on uh, Twitter, co-host, Blue Sky, um... I'll do the thing that I say on Puton, which is you can check my pinned tweet or 
uh, pin to chost, but not my pin to skeet because those still don't exist. Um, unless they do, I'm not say it. I roll my eyes for the record every yeah. time. I'm like, I have it written got now. Pattern going. Okay. <laughs> um, that one I I cannot just do without looking at the thing. Mm. Um, like I do with our intro. Um, but uh. Yeah, that has links to all of my podcasts. Um, go listen to Ghost Divers, where we're talking about Nana. That's the other big thing, is I've just been extremely Nana-brained in a way that I'm trying to contain. Yeah, uh, because I'm going to talk about it on a podcast anyway, and everyone's heard my shit already. I, um, did, a pod- I did a Nana podcast with you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but we didn't go through, like, chapter by chapter. No, we sure didn't, because I would never do yeah. that for a manga. Period. Um, but like, I did just have an entire day where I like read Nana at work and then was emotional, emotional about Nana, um, and just intentionally trying to not annoy anybody by talking about it on Twitter or like texting them. Yeah. Um, but that's where I'm at. That's part of what I'm doing. Uh, also reading Ikoko Nikki, which is, is pretty good. And we're like, we're coming up on the end. We have like two episodes left. That uh, that seems like a cool manga. I would like to read that one. Yeah. Um I do think that like just the 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 way that the like dialogue functions and the way that like again everything like hits me after I read it, which I think yeah. is interesting. But um I uh the last episode of Non Homophobia Zone Autumn has no chill, just truly zero chill as a person in the world about the fact that they read two and a half chapters ahead of you. I know. <laughs> just couldn't uh, be normal about I, it at I, all. I, throughout the episode, I was getting like increasingly like s- me having like the slight feeling and then turning it into like a joke for the podcast of like, shut up about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get it. You read ahead of me. You weren't supposed to. <laughs> I did the uh, it's remit. Just, it's just exactly the energy of when someone is like trying not to spoil you on something, but in doing so makes everything worse like 10,000 times. I was like, Autumn, you know that people do this and it's annoying. Why are you doing yeah. this and being annoying about it? You were slightly annoyed about I'm doing this about Persona 4. Yeah. Um, I guess that was after we recorded the podcast, but. Um, yes, I just forget that no, that Autumn did not watch the endurance run and just has Persona 4's entire plot in their brain at all times. Yeah. Because um, it was so foundational to me and Jackson, like even becoming friends that we had both watched Persona 4, even though Jackson never played a fucking JRPG in their lives. Um, if, if it wasn't for Persona 4, we might not have ever become friends because it was at least one touchstone where I could be like, I'm an RPG weirdo. I like games like this. And they kind of knew what I was talking about. <laughs> um, I always, because uh, I know so many people who know like Persona 4 from the Endurance run and mm. I both played it and watched all of the Endurance runs. So I have like, <laughs> and I like, yeah. Obviously played it before the endurance run. Like, See, yeah, I, I watched so. the endurance run and then played Golden when Golden came out, and yeah. uh, had had the experience of like I I still like all the bits of the endurance run, but also I feel like I came out with like radically different reads on the plot of Persona Four after playing it myself. Yeah, um, I do. I think that like Golden like. Uh, there, the stuff is still there in, in the original, but Golden just like provides a finality to a lot of, there's like so much stuff you can read ambiguously in Persona 4. 
And Golden removes the ambiguity again and again in a way yeah. that, like, you play that and you just feel worse about it because the previous one gave you the, like, hope that they were, like, doing this thing that they couldn't, like, quite talk directly about, but they were trying to say something. And then Golden just, like, for me playing it as a fan of the original game, it felt like a rug pull. <laughs> See, my thing, Autumn, you can't listen to the rest of this. Just fuck off. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you listening. Um, if you don't want to know about Persona 4, because I really need to just, like, talk about the thing. So you're right about all of the, like, Persona 4 Golden really reaffirms the Persona team's v- desire to make stories about how society is good when you conform to it. Just basically their main purpose in life. Um but for me, the thing that I liked about Golden in particular when I played it, because, like, when you play the Endurance Run, like, they don't really care about Rize, didn't really hang out there, because Jeff Gerson's got a crush on Chie Satanaka that will not quit. <laughs> Perfect Jeff girl. Um, and, Meanwhile, uh, I just, like, weirdly projected onto Chie. But, um, and um, Rize is just, like, like, just one of those, like, catnip characters for me. I just like... Uh, characters who are slightly too mature, but in like a way that like clearly is covering for their own like deal. Um, big self parenting trauma, you know, it happens. Um, yeah. and Golden also has the Adachi social link. Uh, again, Autumn, fuck off. Uh, <laughs> and so much about the Adachi social link is about Adachi telling you, um, a, a thing that I don't think is untrue, which is, that you and Adachi are both fundamentally social manipulators. They they exist in a world where they give people response they want to hear and gain material benefit from it. Because that's what being a fucking protagonist in an RPG is, especially one with character interactions and dialogue choices. You tell people what they want to hear and you get plus five to affection and you the world is better for you because you did that. And the difference between Adachi and you is that Adachi was always on his own and you has a bunch of friends who love him. And that's what pulls him out of being a true psychopath. Um, and, uh, it's like a, a very insipid, obvious plot, whatever. I don't, I don't like love it, but I love that Risa exists as a counterbalance being like, no, telling people what they think you, they want to hear and navigating that and who you are is just what a person is. Everyone does that. Yosuke is an idiot. He does that. <laughs> yeah. I do that all the time. I have like seven different faces because I'm a girl who's also an idol, who also has a family, who also has my own aspirations and my own secret life. And those all exist together as a me, an individual. And it's difficult and it's exhausting, but that's literally what being a person is. Get over yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and those two things in counterbalance, um, I think are just really good. Um, because I think the persona fandom loves the idea of, of the Adachi character type of like, oh, it's, isn't it fucked up that we all live in a society and we all project who we want to be and what is real and what is, and the, the answer is everyone's been thinking that for the history of humanity. It's not unique. It's not special. It feels really profound when you're 16, but I'm not 16 anymore. I don't give a fuck. We're all like this. It's fine. It's normal. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know, like, I mean, I, I projected on like various stuff on the GA, um, mm. when I played through it, uh, I, I was on Twitter GA with a beard for a while. <laughs> um, um, my projecting my own trauma and personality onto a persona character was a uh, Ken in persona three. Um, yeah. Just a fucking yeah. nightmare character for my, like, all of the things I'm afraid of and, like, went through and, like, think about and dwell on. I'm like, this little boy has all of my traumas, <laughs> basically, in one package. 
Um, and so there, there was also like ways that, and also I just have changed as a critic and and I think I'm a better critic where like, you know, especially with original persona, I was like far stronger in the like, um, oh, there's like, you know, oh, this is like great queer representation or whatever happening in here Mm -hmm. within like a certain context. I still had it like couched within, you know, um, the various layers of like this is still a fairly large game made by like a, a prominent Japanese studio and like yeah I don't think it know. would surprise you to know I never valued Persona in that way <laughs> yeah um and so I feel like it still wasn't at the level of like I know people who like really invested in representation is really important in Persona Four yeah um and for me it was always like oh there's just like weird interesting crunchy things here uh about like uh you know, various forms of queerness, various ways of thinking about and talking about it, like a certain uh cultural translation that's happening here between like this Japanese game and like a American audience playing it. Um and like even just coming at things from a slightly different angle or thinking about things differently or like um and so all of that stuff I I did and do still find interesting. Uh but also like the original game provided so much more space for the those other readings um in the way that like golding closed off um well there's like still a ton of of stuff that i really enjoy in golden but like especially the the epilogue of golden um and so a lot of that stuff too is like you know i i always enjoy just when media is is kind of weird and ambiguous and like doesn't give you answers and has strange contradictions within it. Um, and I felt like the original had that more than golden, like part of golden was resolving the contradictions and also resolving it in like a very unsatisfying way beyond just the way that I sometimes feel unsatisfied when, when like lore tries to resolve a contradiction in the work or whatever, um, that, you know, happens all the time in, in modern media. Uh, but it was like specifically doing it in ways that were, was like making it more regressive and conservative than like the other reads possible. Um, but really the bigger thing that I felt like was lost was just that like, uh, it was this like weird, uh, unruly contradictory thing where at once it was like being deeply homophobic and at the same time was, uh, like, having this weird space to to even talk about like because especially the first time i played it i read like you do the shadow fight and that's when someone is like accepting that they are like that kanji accepts that he is gay and so the whole like social (laughs) link is not kanji being like um you know wrestling with whether or not he is gay but instead wrestling with like well okay now i'm gay but now i have to like sort through like how gender relates to that and like it it like do i then like knitting because i'm gay or like (laughs) i I have to like figure this stuff out and text of persona 4 is still that kanji realizes that it's not gay to like knitting and naoto's a girl so none of his problems are real that was in the original game too (laughs) um the I, I also, like, want to... I mean, part of it is I'm excited for Autumn replaying it just because they will have, like, more immediate... Like, I would have to go back and replay stuff. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, and there's, like, ways to read what's happening with uh, Naoto of, like, oh, like, 
you know, I, I may be like a trans man, but then how much do I need to like lean into being mask in the worst workplace when like, I don't necessarily want to like just immediately confirm, conform to like a specific cis concept of what I then have to be. Um, but then there's also still the fact that you get to the, the end route. And if you like romance now, you can be like, why don't you wear a, a dress for me or whatever? And then she wears a dress. Um, yeah. Um, so all that stuff was in there, but it, there was just like more weird, uh, contradictions. And also like, yes. you know, I played it and I didn't date Naoto, so I didn't even get that option. Um, so like, there's just the various ways that some of that stuff doesn't come up when you like first interact with the thing as a person playing through it. Um, especially like before a lot of that, you know, uh, the endurance run like, felt like one of those first big moments of me interacting with like a video let's play and not like um somebody doing a a forum post thing oh yeah i i because i was not a forum person never was it was my first introduction to the idea of a let's play like straight up Mm -hmm. um and also they were so deeply uninterested in parts of the game as well yeah um that's that's the giant bomb promise don't worry about yeah. that <laughs> yes <laughs> um but yeah so th- there's all these ways that like uh even if at the time there's still these things that i can point to of like yeah this is like not great or questionable um it was still like more possible to play the game in a way that like supported whatever feeling or reading that i had about it um, that again, when you see the epilogue of Golden, which you, if you just try to get true ending, you are going to get, um, like immediately makes all of those ways that like I was able to interact with it and avoid seeing things that <laughs> were there. But I, I sometimes intentionally was what was maybe avoiding it. And sometimes I was just purely not encountering it because I'm not going to be making the choices that would put me into like the, the slight diversion in the path that would show me like here, tell Naoto to wear a dress or whatever. It Um, simply will not allow you to live in ignorance. Kanji will be fixing his hair and becoming a normal boy. (laughs) Um, and so, but for me too, like the, the thing with Persona 4, um, is not that like the other read I had was entirely correct or valid. Um, but rather that like the original game was still just more unruly in a way that like made it possible to be weird and contradictory with itself. Uh, even if like contained within it more of the, the, uh, you know, shitty conclusion. Um, and so part of me is like, that's also what I think created this like intense fandom war stuff around it. Uh, is that for a lot of people who, who like played it the first, when it first came out, had like four years of like their idea of what the game was that like golden just like smashed into. And everybody was like, like everybody that I, I, know who is queer and liked persona Four for the same reasons that i did was disappointed in golden and did reflect back on persona 4 and say like persona 4 was not as good as i thought it was or was not doing as much of the stuff like i was actually doing more of the work than i realized because the game obfuscated in sometimes the ways that i was doing the work uh because of the way that i was playing it um but then you get this thing where like 
other people come in and they've heard that Persona 4 is good and they come in on Golden and they only play Golden and it's like far harder for people to even have that other like weird experience that like those of us who played the game when it first came out and had a reaction to it when, when it first came out, like we had that like feeling personally like disappointed and let down um, and like betrayed and also like feeling stupid about the way that we like allowed ourselves to have that reading. Uh, and instead you get these people coming in just being like, well, it was obvious from the whole time, like this game is just bad or whatever. And I think it just like made persona in particular, this like, um, intense like site for this kind of discussion despite the fact that like jrpgs broadly are often going to be like weirdly homophobic and uh conservative in the exact same ways um yes persona just became the one because then you also had the people who like did not want to accept that they were wrong and became like steadfast in oh no persona 4 is actually all the most annoying people on earth (laughs) yeah and you know uh, you got you got to like feel that in yourself and like realize like yeah. ah uh atlas kind of did me dir- dirty here and also I let them do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean yes the things that you're saying the thing is it's yeah. not like this isn't true of uh fucking multiple final fantasies and all of dragon quest and uh half of all anime that's like or like RPGs that are like kind of eerie but only in like a class S way that really doesn't matter and is kind of dismissive ultimately. Yeah. Um <laughs> it's rife in the genre. You can't escape. Uh but now most of those don't have fan bases and that's actually that's not true in modernity, but it was true at the time. Most of those people did not have most of the games did not have fan bases that yelled about how their game was the good representation like the Persona fans often did. Yeah. Um and I mean some of that like for me at the time just seeing it happen i think also came out of like uh you know persona 4 was big and popular when it came out yeah. uh but it was still coming out of like a space of like you know if, if you were a jrpg fan who was into like dungeon crawler sicko stuff like i was you were playing games that the average person who would interact with JRPGs were like mostly just playing Final Fantasy and like maybe one or two other ones. Usually You're other squares. I'm, I'm that person. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, uh, in the mines caring about Etrian Odyssey from the jump. Um, you know, I was like, digging deep into the barrel like i cared about hoshigami a, another fucking atlas game that nobody I, cares I, about i i genuinely have no idea what hoshigami is so. uh, that makes a lot of sense to you because it's a tactical rpg oh yeah, um, okay well i, I but, don't care for all yeah. new reasons now uh hoshigami ruining blue earth which is also like it's like final fantasy tactics is a better tactics game than hoshigami but i still cared about hoshigami because i was just that kind of rpg sicko <laughs> um and so you know, I'm playing like Digital Devil Saga and like Nocturne and shit like that as well. Um, mm. And so I'm the person playing Persona 4 and having on one side this like, especially, you know, ha- had been interacting with them because I'm just playing these like uh, sicko dungeon crawler games. So on one side, there are like the, this intense, uh, niche fandom that is like, oh, Persona 4, that's the like bad game for gay people and girls. And it's not like a, a real Shimigami Tensei game because like the combat's not as hard and you don't do, 
dungeon crawling in the same way or whatever, where you have to. I was like, already fighting those yeah. battles about Final Fantasy VIII and Final yes. Fantasy X. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were also doing that about Final Fantasy yeah. and everything. Uh, but like that was happening on one side, and then the other side was like Persona Four was like this other group of people coming more into this niche space uh, and also encountering it, and then like Golden further expanded that. So for me, in like this weird middle space, I've got like one side being like. Uh, that game is like, uh, fucking gay derogatory. Uh, the other side is like, uh, this game isn't gay and you're bad for thinking that there's like interesting queer readings to do at all here. Uh, and then you're just in the middle being like, I do just, uh, despite the fact that the, the end result of Persona 4 is conservative in a lot of ways, um, and is like, uh, not actually doing the work to the same degree. It is also a game that is like weirdly grappling in those themes in a way that most games just didn't at the time, especially Um like this is like the time of like the outrage that like female shepherd could uh have a romance with Liara or whatever as well was happening like literally same year or year before. Um And so it was still just like, this was a game where I was still able to like, have like stuff was still interacting with ideas of queerness in a way that I could have like weirder, uh, crunchier reads going on. Um, and also being unclear, like to what degree is some of this, like, cause games are made by lots of people are, is yes. there like a weird divide happening where like some people are trying to like do more interesting stuff and then other people are closing it off. Um, and so it became this thing that was like deeply interesting for me to turn over in my head. Um, realizing why I identified with GA so much was like part of me coming out, <laughs> realizing I was trans. So there's like all of this other stuff that was wrapped up in. And I just still think it's like a fascinating game to like turn over in my head and think about. And like the characters, I really like the characters despite the fact that the, the game does a lot of them dirty. Um And so it remains one of my favorite games, despite the fact that like, you know, in a very different way, but it's like a game that I have like a certain tulip relationship with where I'm like, there's parts of this that are interesting. There's parts of this that are bad. There's also parts of this that are just like deeply entwined with like my growth as a person. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the thing you have to, the video gamers across the world have to remember is that textually by volume, mass effect has way more gay content than persona ever did, but it is the straightest game ever made. Yes. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that like while no, the no, no, thing we're done. We're done. I'm fucking I ending just... the podcast on that because we, <laughs> we were supposed to be ending twenty minutes ago and you kept going. You can find me on Twitter at EM underscore Bing. You can find my, all my podcasts at Romapping.com. Check out patreon.com slash mapping if you'd like to listen to me and Jackson talk about Rosa Versailles and Gundam Double O. They're both really fucking good. Please watch me and Dia play Flower Sun and Rain every Monday on youtube.com slash at Dia that's all of my stuff. We'll be back next week. Until then, we're out of the podcast. I'll just take weird, crunchy homophobia over extremely dry. Shut up. Disney Say the word so I can shut this thing now off. Now we're out of the podcast. <laughs>
Oh.